All right. So, hey, guys, this isn't Tracy. This is actually her best friend, Girdly. And because me and that crazy girl have been through, like, uh, 10 years of adventures, I thought I'd hit y'all with a disclaimer of sorts. First and lastly, do know that whatever the hell Tracy shares in this podcast comes from her very own treasure chest of magic, logic, and good intentions. She's definitely not a therapist alternative, but she does believe it's inhumane to withhold what feels like gangsta insight. My girl's not for everyone, but she just might be for you. She's beauty in the this is the She's Beating the Beast podcast, season one, episode three, featuring my dear friend, Alex Wolf. And as the last name most certainly suggests, Alex is indeed to the maximum a beast, especially when it comes to breaking down the Internet's impact on human behavior. She is an award winning entrepreneur, tech philosopher, author and founder of Creative Business School. She is also one of the few people I call a human hard drive, which means that she is hella capable of retaining and sharing massive info, as you will see in just a few seconds when I quit rambling with this very important intro. (laughs) I feel like the majority of the world knows her for everything I just shared with you, which is indeed important, but also shit like what makes cooking such a supreme life coach is important as well to the both of us. I think... You'll really enjoy this episode. We go in a lot of directions, but it all makes sense because it is hella smart and hella spicy. My dearest Alex Wolf, every single Disney princess's greatest nightmare or greatest fantasy. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> as you should. So I was I was reflecting on our friendship, which is so meaningful to me, as as you know. Because I share that a lot with you. I'm very vocal. It's Mm -hmm. very important to give those reminders. It doesn't matter how repetitive it is. I mean, unless there's no action to follow up with it. But I'm just one of those people that knows how we can just get lost in the grips of distraction. Mm -hmm. So when it is top of mind where I feel like it's necessary to share my love with someone, I do it. So anyway, so when I was going, I was I was backpedaling and I was thinking about the birth of this friendship and what made it so special is because it doesn't go like way, way back when. Like we weren't buddies in the right. sandbox. You right. know what I'm saying? Like we weren't this this like troublemaking twosome in college. Right. <laughs> Even though that would have been fun. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> and I think that the energy we have like to this day matches that of right. other friendships that go that many chapters back. Um, but our our kinship really was sprouted um through Instagram. Of course. <laughs> Like, it was a necessary (laughs) ingredient. Like, we didn't even have, like, an event in our life that brought us together. And it's also within the midst of adulting. Mm -hmm. And it's such a period that millennials just look at with disdain. Mm -hmm. Because it comes with an extra heaping of responsibilities. And then, you know, at one point, Drake made it really popular to be like, no new friends, blah, blah, blah. Right. But... It reminds me, our relationship reminds me that there's so much more to look forward to. Right. You know, and that there are still things that have responsibility. Like, I look at our friendship as a responsibility. I think we both do. We Mm -hmm. both nurture this relationship. And so it makes me okay with nurturing other aspects of my life. Because I see the fruits of that labor. Mm -hmm. But still, at the end of the day, like, Instagram did have have a part to play in it so our our relationship also reminds me like not to hate this technology Mm -hmm. and so I bring it full circle because you're a a tech philosopher that's one uh that's like one dot of your identity (laughs) I don't want to magnify the entire thing although I understand why other people have Mm -hmm. but I started looking also okay so Instagram I made note of this Instagram came on the World Wide Web, uh, well, Wi-Fi, on October 6, 2010. Mm-hmm. And so I want to know what life was like pre-Instagram. <laughs> what so was informing you, both online and offline? Yeah. 
So pre-Instagram, I was on Facebook mm-hmm. and MySpace. And it's funny because I was using... I downloaded Instagram, I want to say like 2011, but it was just for the filters Mm -hmm. because that's when, like no one was actually using it. Like you could have a username and upload photos and it would be like talking to a black hole. So I would (laughs) take those pictures and then I would put them on Facebook, which is- What? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So, um, so I was in high school and I was also, the two things I was using the most was Facebook and Pandora. And it, and I'm still a customer of Pandora. <laughs> Shout and out, man, Pandora. It's so it's funny okay. because it's it's like really kind of uncool. Like mm-hmm. I feel like on the all the millennial music apps, like yeah. Pandora is the one that's kind of like really. But it's like yeah, really, because I I always love listening to radio. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. I first was gonna start off by saying Pandora. You hear that? Shout out, you know, since you under the serious extent. Well, no, I still, umbrella. You I give still me got their coins? back. I still got their back because they yeah. always priori- prioritize spontaneity and how much that was important in in listening to music yeah which is what kind of kills it for me with spotify i mean i know there's playlists but i don't know i just got it's just i got stuck i got used to it um but it's so funny because i was using pandora back when like you had to pay for your data and it would like suck it all up but that's how much i enjoyed listening to the music so anyway i remember being in high school listening to pandora being on facebook and um watching like bad girls club i was like such a typical like freaking just kind of brainwashed by the media Uh like young black girl was it to the point where you were becoming like a bad girl as well like did you see how what you consumed on tv impacted your actual life i definitely thought natalie nunn was cool (laughs) i remember running into her at the mall and being like starstruck i mean it's just so funny to think about it today because it's like it's just like a completely different person but i i do like to I have been thinking about how valuable that part of my life is because it's so important to see how how much you can change. Yeah. Um and and yeah, it was just a it was an interesting time. I think the other the other app I was using a lot was Twitter. Mm-hmm. Of course, like I was on I would cut school and and just go home and watch t- and be on Twitter and watch Bad Girls Club. And I would wow. tweet I made a lot of Twitter friends that I've lost contact with. Just yeah. people like random strangers I would talk to. Yeah. Every day on Twitter. <laughs> Did you value like your online community more than like your fellow earthlings? Um Well, my- they are earthlings on the online right, community. Right. Let my- me say that. But you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um so my senior year, all my friends were in college by then, mm-hmm. in high school. Mm-hmm. I was in high school, they were all in college. So I didn't have any friends at school. Ah. So I would hang out with them maybe on the weekends and stuff like that. But it wasn't like it was the year before where we were all sort of on the same schedule. Yeah. So I had way more time to be online. And um, yeah, I That's interesting. Because when I like design, you know, the the beginnings of your life, I picture a young girl who is always in classrooms where she's the most advanced. And I wonder <laughs> if you had any friends that were your same age. That's how I, because I just, I'm like, okay, I meet Alex in her 20s. And I often remind you to be patient with the re- the rest of um, humanity mm-hmm. because we're always catching up to you for the most part. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And because a lot of how we were shaped when we are, when we are younger lends itself to how we manifest in adulthood i was just like hmm i wonder what this little like brainiac i wasn't i wasn't tapped into uh, my my like intelligence at all i was but i think that's i i, I think i had to be that dumb to get where i am now i'm serious <laughs> like I look if anyone has ever like damn Alex I heard you used to, I'll be like that's be, I'll literally be like that's because I was stupid at that time like mm-hmm. not as a way to you know uh put myself down but just as a way of like yeah like I I feel like I used to be very misguided and I would do a lot of stupid shit and I think that's very common when yeah. you're young we do a lot of stupid shit so you know that's really just what it is it wasn't until Honestly, I think entrepreneurship and and being independent forces you to grow up and it forces you to kind of figure out how things work. And once you figure out how things work, that's when you stop being dumb, in my opinion. What was the first thing you figured out how to work? 
Um, I think the first milestone was learning how to pay my own rent mm-hmm. or just like knowing what it takes to have a job to have to have just enough budgeting skills <laughs> right to pay the rent. <laughs> Forget <laughs> about the other bills that are on the list. Right. <laughs> just so we can lay our heads down. <laughs> I noticed a huge difference between my friends who weren't paying rent and those who were. Um, and the ones who were were a little bit more. You know, obviously it sounds like I'm biased, but it's like we were a little bit more responsible, a little bit more um, realistic, Mm -hmm. which wasn't always like favorable. But we were definitely the ones that were like, you know, get a grip. Like, what do you mean? How are you going to do that? So and then that was just a really weird time. We're talking about like Drake circa what, 2011, 12, 13, like Mm -hmm. I was just graduating like uh, high school and like a lot of my friends were trying to figure out if they're going to major in psychology or be bottle girls. Like he was like rapping to the T <laughs> about the problems <laughs> that women, right. you know, like those he serious was the soundtrack yes. to our lives. Absolutely. And there was so much confusion around that time of yeah. like the millennial coming out into the job market and being like, what the hell am I even going to do here? So mm-hmm. that was obviously a lot of the big catapult or catalyst of Boss Babe. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot of confused women just wanting to, um, you know, not not wanting to sacrifice their aesthetics for their jobs, their professionalism and stuff like that. So right. it was just a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. It all feels like a dream now. <laughs> I can imagine. So when did... When did you enter your next dream? Um, I think I think once my business started to become very successful, um, I felt com- I, that's definitely when I became isolated from what I was growing up with. I came into a world of different norms. Um, I was hanging out with like young, wealthy millennials, which is very different than what I was seeing in the media as far as millennials being broke mm-hmm. and not knowing So I was in this like little pool of interesting and this was also an interesting time on Instagram. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were rising to their to their fame or to their glory. And so that was also another little bit of a bubble for me. Um, And it definitely tested. It made me realize what I need Mm -hmm. versus what I want, which is I'm very grateful that happened early on in my life because I try to pride myself in not needing that much Mm -hmm. I feel like I want to know how to be happy with simple things and not so brainwashed because you know again I was very young and ambitious and I definitely thought that fame and external material things right just what it was yeah um but you know I I went through a lot um I just read this article on Cosmopolitan with Emma Chamberlain, she like there was a quote where she was saying that social media gave her a hat, gave her an eating disorder, which is like obviously a very common thing. And mm-hmm. so there was just so much pressure. There's still so much pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of a nasty place right. to get caught up. I think especially um, as a woman where it doesn't matter what generation, what time period, so much of who we are, how we appear is um, inspired, influenced by outside sources, you know? And so to kind of pull them all into one app, in a sense, is wild. Will drive anyone crazy, whether it's going to manifest in um, an eating disorder or um, you selling tea that you know you don't give a fuck about. That people with eating (laughs) disorder use, right. Right. Like there's so many different avenues of destruction that could that can happen with that. What kills me about the eating disorder, and I want to make sure I say this, is that it, metaphorically, it's ma- it's trying to make yourself disappear. It's mm. trying to make yourself so thin. It's almost like looking back, I look at it like, wow, like it, it's just like such a really eerie way of self-hate. Because mm-hmm. you're just trying to you know, to actually feel your body go into starvation mode is very intense. Um, and it's like to know that women out there are voluntarily putting their bodies in starvation mode, which is a very painful mode to be in. Yeah, I tried it when I was in high school and it wasn't even because of anything the Internet brought my way. But I went to an all girls school and it's it's interesting, these trends that will happen when um, you're in a very like monolithic situation right (laughs) and so the prettiest girls 
they were basically test driving every single type of disorder right and i just looked at it as as a social like experiment a passage right and in a sense i almost looked at these women like wow like your level of tenacity and commitment (laughs) because like putting your finger down your throat at least for me wow you have that's like a marriage the level of commitment you need to have for that and I was like dang if only we could like pivot this energy in a different place and then for me I also think about how bad does your self-esteem have to be does your Mm self-respect have to be to deny yourself basic nutrition Mm -hmm. um and and for you to somehow justify it in your mind is like that's just to me like and I'm not saying that in a judgmental way this is something I I definitely suffered with and it's like it's just it's crazy to think about now in hindsight that it could be that bad and that you and just simply images or simply just these ideas that you have about what you think life is mm-hmm. can lead you down to that path so mm-hmm. anyway <laughs> Well, I mean, with the kind of metaphorical remote control that you held, what were the new channels that you tapped into so that the imaging you received was different so that you had an outcome that wasn't an eating disorder? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Honestly, I moved from California to New York. I knew that was going to be a part of it. Yeah, I Let's mean, go for a journey. Go for so, it. So California, I, you know, there's great things about it being that there's great vegetation and fresh food and all that. But there are a lot of um, dogmatic sort of food philosophies there. Not necessarily anorexia, but it's just it's a way more. In my opinion, I had way more of a food conscious environment when I was in California, whether it was talking about veganism or juicing or whatever. People were just always talking about food. Mm-hmm. Then I got to New York and the you know, there ain't no Jamaican food in California. It was really just the Jamaican food. And it definitely ate just right around the corner. Right. <laughs> so I came to New York. And of course, the first thing I do is I indulge in Jamaican food for like the first week. And then I don't know. It just kind of was like, why would I? This is why would I like I can handle from this. I can. And it was it wasn't an overnight thing. Uh-huh. You know, it's like I definitely yeah. would panic and be like, oh, my God, I think I see it coming in. And I think. But um, I realized just it wasn't worth that, Mm -hmm. that it was okay to just eat and, you know, and still take care of myself, still look a way that I want to look, but not abuse myself. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. do you think there's a platform like think about Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever else I'm forgetting. Maybe you can throw in Vine. I did see how they're they're coming up with called Bite or whatever. Mm -hmm their next um, leg in the game. Which platform do you think has most informed you as a woman? Pinterest. Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it real. Word. How can I forget Pinterest? We have. I'm really proud of you for contributing to our Pinterest. Thank you. Today. I yeah. did it like last night. I added some last night. Um, well, Pinterest is different because it's not necessarily for socializing. It's for your own sort of right. private inspiration. Yeah. Um, but it. I mean, it has been. I mean, to answer your question, honestly, that mm-hmm. has been the best resource, maybe outside of like Google. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not looking for healthy woman advice on Instagram necessarily. Not to say it's not on there, right. but there's it, it's too vulnerable to get caught up in some other fucked up distraction. Yeah. Um. So, you know what else is interesting about Pinterest now that I'm visualizing it and looking at it as kind of like uh a time marker of what my interests have been over a period of time. Like in the beginning with Pinterest, there was a lot of, okay, let me figure out these listicles of how I right. can get this There's type of ass to blah, it. blah, blah. A, yeah. Right. And then also it was like focused so much on what's the aesthetic of the Tracy G brand, blah, blah. Yes. And now it has been taken over by food. You think so? Black Betty crop, my shit. Well, that's probably because of what you've been searching. No, no, no. Of okay. course. But yeah, I'm talking yeah. about like how I've been using uh, because it literally it literally is like a museum right. of all of my interests yes. that I've been hoarding in private. Right. And I was reading I sent it over to you too. I'm not sure if you're able to take a look at it, but um The Atlantic had a really great article um that was all about how do you say this word out loud? Domesticity. Okay, yeah. Is that how you say it? Uh Yeah, and it was about the new 
domesticity. And it was saying how for millennials, oftentimes um, people who are studying us, and also we can say this from being a millennial, we talk about this a lot, Alex, how we feel like we're in this perpetual state of youth. That's what's being fed to us. I think about that with you know, my um, very generous use of emojis and, mm-hmm. and bitmojis, right? But cooking, although it does teach me a lot about life, I, I look at the life parallels from starting off of all these individual ingredients that taste disgusting, but then together they make something delicious, especially when they go under heat. Mm-hmm. Like that really teaches me a lot about um, patience with the process in my own life. Right. But also I realize that I embrace cooking because that's my own frame of reference for maturity, mm-hmm. for sophistication. Right. You know what I mean? What does it look like to be older without having a house? Right. Without being married? Right. Because <laughs> I, I don't want to feel like I'm 18 mm-hmm. forever because, one, it, I'm just incapable of going all, you know, taking that type of leap, back, leap backwards. Uh, I can't make my body look like the way it was at at 18. I'm making more money than I was at 18, but I'm also not making the type of money that I thought I would be making like now. Mm -hmm. And so I know that you love cooking as well. Mm -hmm. How does that, what is it, the way I just broke Mm -hmm. down what it means for me, does it have that same type of significance for you as you get older? Yeah, I mean, I think I look at it a little differently, but to address what you're saying, I think that cooking allows us to up you know to live out an adult behavior without necessarily um without necessarily getting married or buying a house right Mm -hmm. it's a way to apply your maturity and a way and you know it's therapeutic Mm -hmm. um for me cooking i think i relate to all that and i think on on in addition to that uh, cooking represents, first of all, my relationship to nature because it's the place I get to. It's alchemy, you know. I think it's the most divine alchemy, and I don't say that as a, as as if I'm the best chef in the world. It's just I always think it's a privilege to have a little alone time with some, you know, like some kale <laughs> or some fresh meat, and just have that those precious seconds where things are warming up or you're looking at you know, something turning green in the pan. Um, I I really love color and I love texture and I love seeing nature make those things. So, and I, and I think what I've noticed too is that it's, it's a very Zen experience if you're in the kitchen alone. And I think about just the centuries and centuries of women Mm -hmm. who, you know, found peace and quiet maybe in those moments, not always, obviously I'm not, I'm not trying to, um, generalize, but for the ones who did, right, mm-hmm. I could definitely, I feel myself sort of tapping into whatever history um, comes with just sort of the alone time that, that the woman has with food. Um, you know, men have their alone time too. But um, so for me, I, 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 it's an anthropological thing. Mm-hmm. It's a way that makes me, it's something that makes me feel very human. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. It feels very different than being on my phone for hours. It feels like, I don't know, it just feels like a beautiful relationship. It's meant to be. It's like the food is here, I'm here, and together we're here together. I don't right? know. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> it's your first love for well, many of us like part of our experiences because even when you think of as a child you may not be in a kitchen but that level of nourishment like when you're your first craving there's no is for food in my opinion there is no act of love that's more generous and warm than cooking for somebody mm-hmm. no matter who um, is cooking for who because again it's someone applying their skills and knowledge and love to feed you like yes. literally um, so I, I do love that feeling of it. It's very rewarding experience. And I think on top of that, the way I look at technology is it's our chance to co-create with the universe. Amen. So cooking is a perfect example of co-creating with the universe in a way that's uh, harmonious and just skillful. Right. Mm-hmm. So to me, there's just so many beautiful like metaphors and it, there's just this natural understanding of what I think 
can be tapped into when we design other things or make other th- any technology i think should have that you know harm- harmonious sort of back and forth it's almost like uh there's a saying of you know the sculptor who looks at the block of marble and he listens for what the marble wants to turn into Mm -hmm. versus coming in and saying, I'm going to turn you into this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so much of our technology is I'm going to turn you into this or even how we look at food or whatever is I'm going to, and we're not listening for what the rock wants to become or what the food wants to become. Like, Mm -hmm. and and I, I love experimenting with that in the kitchen. Like just the other day I was frying chicken and I had to be very present (laughs) <laughs> to like, oh, like when does this one, when right. does this baby want to turn over? Right. Um, yes. And I got to be here for it and I got to be gentle. And it just, it makes me practice all these things that I'm really trying to implement deeper in other parts of my life, yeah. which is patience and intuition. And yes. cooking is very much those things. Um, and in my opinion, very feminine kinds of um, things. So I like that feeling and that's why mm-hmm. I like cooking. <laughs> I love it. I feel like the kitchen. Well, not the well, the kitchen as the centerpiece of a home. That's how I view it in my eyes. It's the first room of a home. It's the first room that was invented. Was it? Well, think about cave cave. Literally, what you need, right? Yeah, the kitchen served as the living room and the bedroom and everything. But the, what the made fire, it different? The, yeah. This is what I love about like fire and elements and all this. Sh- I get very geeky about it. Yeah, is that Aries in the house? Hello. Um, <laughs> That fire was what brought people together, obviously for the heat, but obviously also to cook the food. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, a bunch of interesting theories about how the human brain developed the way it developed because we were eating cooked food and that the human brain could not have developed this way if we weren't if we were just eating raw food. Mm -hmm. Um, And even our jaws and things like that have been developed in a way that we don't have as big of a jaw and as big of teeth as yeah. a lot of primates have because yeah. they have to chew through a lot of fibrous um, plants right. but when you cook the food it's really about tenderizing it and when it's tender it digests differently right. blah, 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 all this stuff your brain gets bigger so it's deep right yeah. and so the fire represents people coming together in one location to, to survive but eventually and out of that right we get the stove and out of that we get the bedroom on the side and out of that so it really just fire and heat is really what brought humans together and food wow because we all can hate each other or we can all be different ages in the home Mm -hmm. but everybody comes together where the food is exactly so the food is sort of this glue to our generations Mm -hmm. and this is why i'm so passionate about food and how important it is for and tables People think I'm crazy, but it's just like table. It's, the table is one of my favorite pieces of technology because it's literally designed to support large plates of food and also have us look at each other in the eye. Mm-hmm. I think about that because mm-hmm. I'm like every other thing that we look at is I feel like is designed so we don't look at each other in the eyes. Right. So it's deep. Um, and when I look, when I apply the anthropological lens, I just get very again. I feel honored. And it's a privilege. It's my my favorite thing in the world to feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love thinking about like the table aspect too. That's part of what sucks about New York City living as well. And I and I now that I'm hearing about like the history of the kitchen, and also hearing this beautiful love letter you've given kitchen tables. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being in New York City in these tiny homes mm-hmm. where. Your living room essentially is your kitchen table. Right. And the person you're sitting across is on a screen because it's more I was gonna times say, than not your there's television. There's no one there. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know what I mean? And and how these, it's subtle, but when it's put on repetition, I see how it can, one, um, heighten uh, social anxiety mm-hmm. because you're just we're so used to eating alone mm-hmm. not calling people over for a meal and also not knowing who made our meal right. so there's no sense of gratitude given to anything not because only, we just yeah. look at the convenience portion like when you see someone in the kitchen or uh, your food is plated it's placed in, in front of you like one, you have to say thank you because there's an, another human there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, that also just changes the way you experience the meal. The like, food. Yeah. Let me tell you a, a quick story. This happened like three weeks ago. Um, and it, I just I just thought like, wow, this is 
this is crazy. So this was late night. Me and Carl, we were hungry. And uh, we were like, oh, let's order from the diner because we live right next to a diner. And he's like, I'll order to come through. And I was like, no, nah, let me go for a walk, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, the environment was warm outside. So I was like, okay, cool. So I go walk outside and I go into the diner and there's like a lot of tension in there. And that's because one of the cooks had to call out due to an emergency. So there's just a guy in the back, like just on his solo. And you can Mm -hmm. just see he's just carrying the weight of like 5,000 angry, seamless customers. Right. (laughs) So I go over there and I'm speaking to the lead waitress and she, well, before I even got the chance to speak to her, she's on the phone and there's someone who's really aggravated on the other line and she Mm -hmm. gets off. And so she, brings that energy my way totally understood and she assumes that I'm angry as well right and I said I'm not angry like what's going on she tells me this story blah 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 and I realized that the person that was calling that was angry is angry because they think it's just this technology that's making the food right because they're used they don't to understand how technology that is so instant in other areas of their life yeah. they're forgetting that something can happen to a human where they're not there right and because and who knows probably if i was still on my couch i would have called them and been like bro what's going on you're right. right next door how come we have 50 minutes now but my humanity was activated right when i was reminded that there's someone in the back right <laughs> figuring this out that's and that sentence is applies to every industry right. you know and it's so i think that american consumers unfortunately don't realize that there's a human in the back figuring it out um and that that distance from where everything comes from definitely concerns me on many levels because things don't just magically appear in stores. Mm-hmm. Everything comes from the earth uh, from some degree, right? Yeah. Even the stuff that we're making artificially, everything yeah. comes from the ground. Everything's growing out um, or being collected through water or whatever it is and mm-hmm. being processed by some type of scientific process, which also takes humans, like everything takes humans. I don't know when, where or why it got to a point where we think, you know, machines are doing everything, um, but they're not. Uh, they're doing a lot of it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of human labor happening all over this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we... We know that when we want to know it and we don't know it other times. And, you know, I I, 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 don't, I don't come with a solution. I order in food. You know, it, I'm not someone who I'm not an angel. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I think that. But I do think that I tweeted the other day that hopefully one day we'll realize that saving the economy is the same would be the same thing as saving the environment. Because basically because of this distance Mm -hmm. that we have from our food and our clothes and pretty much everything plastic. I I don't I don't understand how there's plastic in cars everywhere. I just know that that cannot be good. Um, But because I have that distance, that distance is causing us to not have a real grip on how many how scarce our resources are Mm -hmm. and how they're being used. And when you don't have a real grip on how scarce the natural resources are, you, you know, basically we're printing money without knowing, without having that grasp. And the the money doesn't reflect the natural resources. It's Mm -hmm. supposed to, Mm -hmm. because it's supposed to say, okay, we have this many dollars and each dollar is pegged to some type of valuable thing, Mm -hmm. but it's not. So that means that it's running off, growing larger and larger, but the resources of our earth are not necessarily getting larger and larger without that type of investment. That's wild. So, um, you know, and the environmentalists have been trying to scream about this for decades. And, you know, the the people who are anti a lot of these big corporations have been trying to scream about this for decades. And it's just hard. It's just so much noise, so much media. It's so easy to to distract the American consumer with entertainment or with whatever, any type of sensationalism. Um, and also there's just a big feeling of powerlessness. It's like, okay, yes, I understand this information. And now what, mm-hmm. you know, like, what am I, what do you want me to do? <laughs> so it does feel like a big task. Like how can I actually change the environment for the better, but on the daily? Cause even when I think about, I'll go to the store and I'll be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to bring my own bag. I don't need the paper bags. But the paper bags have still been made. Right. What do we do with that? Right, right, I right. I think about that all the time. Yeah. 
You know, like, all right, I'm not going to drink from this cup. I'm going to bring my own, like, portable mug, but the cup's already been made. Right. So how can I make, like, this big dent? But Plastic bags are the worst. I hate plastic bags. Bruh. And so I, I began to just look at it as, all right, well, let me start at the beginning and start at least, like, dating nature again. That's why parks right. are so important to us. And honestly, I think, I, I really think that, you know, whoever listens to my work and is inspired to do something different, I don't, my message has never been like, okay, let's fix the world. Mm-hmm. It's like, just enjoy it while you're here. Because right. I really don't yeah, yeah, yeah. know. I personally, I'm not investing in fix putting the burden of fixing it. I don't even necessarily believe in fixing the universe and the natural intelligence. I think it automatically fixes itself. And it has, a, it has an intelligence that is, it, if the intelligence created me, then how do I know how to, you know, make it balanced? That's how I look at it. Um, and so I'm just like, I do know that I can go to the park mm-hmm. and I can wash kale <laughs> and just shut up and eat <laughs> and just be happy and have a few friends, make some money and just shut the hell up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel you. Just live the good life. Yeah. That's the good life. Yeah, I definitely think that there's a lot of value in enjoyment versus just the emphasis of improvement no because in my opinion every time we try to improve it it just gets worse and worse and worse i do believe that the the road to hell was paved with good intentions i i find that uh good intentions put on an infrastructural scale or mass scale just turns into something hideous most of the time It, it ends up turning into war it ends up turning into famine we have enough history to prove that or it ends so. up turning into nobody taking care of the home Yes. Because we're all outside. Being just, busy. Right. Yes. And being ambitious and only right. seeing ambition as something that involves dollars, how much we're making. Right. Um, but, and this is a conversation that me and you have often, and I've had it with um, Amber, our producer as well, being a modern day woman who does feel a pull to an ambition that is outside and within her work, but then also feeling for myself that my femininity, me speaking for myself, but also speaking for a lot of y'all out there, not everyone, but that my femininity is being called by my home, Mm -hmm. not to be there 24 seven, not to sign a, a permission slip that now I can just be muted and, you know, subjugated to whatever. No, I'm not I'm not trying to move backwards in that sense and just swap my independence for dependence. Mm-hmm. But I, I worry a lot about everyone just driving their divine masculine like through the roof mm-hmm. both men and women and there being no shelter at home and mm-hmm. how that impacts the children that we're not having right <laughs> right or the ones that we are yeah right. or even the ch- the inner child within us right that needs a home right yeah so um i care a lot about this because somewhere somewhere in the mix you know, we started to care a lot about mental health, which is cool. We started caring about safe spaces, which are cool. Um, and the original safe space was the home. And so, like, I was talking to a comedian who, um, you know, he's having difficulty making jokes because the social climate is very sensitive and he feels like he's set up for failure. And he's, you know, he said that he got in trouble and because he wasn't creating a safe space. And so I forgot what tangent I was going on, but I was just like, well, it's because we think the, the, the outside world should be a safe space and we're not trying to make our homes like we're not putting that same energy and making our homes the safe space. The whole point, mm. the whole point of the home was to shelter you from enemies. Mm-hmm. Right. Literally, it's the place you go to. If you had a bad day, you go home and, and then, retreats and then and right. And there's people there and everybody's ready. And if God forbid you are, you know, threatened you are in a safe place where either your home will protect you or your your civilization, your your city, your town will protect you. And that was the whole point because we understood that the nature of other groups of people is that they can become enemies or they can be or they can threaten you and and that the world's not necessarily a safe place 100% of the time. So the the corner that you can have best control in creating that safe space is your home. Um and so I often talk about how Right now, if you look at subway ads, if you just look at commercials, 
it almost feels like everything is implying that you don't have enough time to cook, you don't have enough time to do anything, and that every service is to help you be busy better. You know, it's like <laughs> we live in this. It's just like the busier you are, the more people will just see you as the most accomplished. Right. Exactly. Like if you think about the most high profile person, why are they so high profile? Because their time is somehow so divided in a precious manner of their busyness. Right. You know, and it's like, what? Like, how does that make sense? How right. how is being the busiest busy doing what? <laughs> right. That part. Um, how is that the one who gets the trophy? Right. So and also, why are we celebrating only one slice of who someone is? That's the other part that I don't want to get scammed into believing right. that you as a whole are successful when I'm just seeing you as a piece but right. blown up. Right. And how is it success if you are too busy to work on the most important parts of your life? It just right. doesn't make any sense to me. So um, the home is important because in it is the most important economic unit of a civilization. The status of the home is the status of the community. And, you know, when we think about the black community is something that obviously I'm very passionate about in our homes. And, um, you know, when you think about anyone you date, what, what, what's the issue? Something at home. It's mm-hmm. always something at home. Mm-hmm. If you see someone has a real severe social issue or, you know, some type of maturity issue, it's because probably there was something that happened in the home, a parent or not having not having a parent. Right. Um, and so the home is a very crucial place. Right. It's where we become humans mm-hmm. to that, that end up being in this society. So if you neglect the home, then you're neglecting your society because now you got all these people running around who didn't have a development that empowered them, very insecure individuals, in my opinion, running around making decisions, having a very loose grip on what they want or what they believe. Or, you know, we, we just have people that kind of just get you know they they just go with what they're told to do or what to believe it's very easy to do that so in my opinion um there's just nothing you know a home is is more than a physical space it's an energy Mm -hmm. in my opinion it's the the mixture of warmth and maturity maturity not in the boring sense or the buzzkill sense but maturity as in the safety Mm -hmm. um if you're ever seeking safety you probably are going to go to the most mature person you know someone who can someone who's very thoughtful about how they respond to you someone who isn't volatile someone who can you know remain calm or just appropriate right um and, and that's an adult Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's really what maturity and adulthood and again I'm very passionate about life stages and how important it is that that societies have adults um and what an adult is and um and I think a lot of millennials don't feel like adults and so we search for that in other people but you know you can do research and you can learn about other societies where they had hindsight about all these things. They knew how important it was to invest in youth and invest in the elderly and invest in those intergenerational conversations because uh, the old need the young, the young need the old. And again, in this type of society, the old get discarded. Um, the young have a lot of power, which is okay. But if it gets to a point where they, you know, they drag us through harsh economies and you know i see you know working in social media it's like anything that gen z does is like a godsend it's gold and i'm like i understand (laughs) that but at the same time why are we giving so much weight and it's because they represent a, a a consumer demographic that can be tapped into that's why oh absolutely and I'm just, it's just for, like... for marketing and for optics and I think for our general obsession with the future. Right. And so you think who's going to hit represent big. the future. Right. But I'm like, also, when you're young, you're fickle as fuck. So why am I being informed <laughs> by a group who are going to change their or mind why is within six months? Why is everyone's and that's a generalization of everyone's. But why is everyone's job threatened because kids are doing something different. Right. That's the issue I have. Yeah. Is that even being a millennial, I'm kind of like, shit, so if I don't learn everything a Gen Zer is doing, right. I can be out of this right. job? If I'm not on TikTok, then I have zero relevance? Right. Mm-hmm. So, why, like, how did that happen? That's not, 
you know, obviously it's easier to say this shit in hindsight because I'm sure when I was 21, I was like a dumb millennial that someone probably wanted to punch in the face. But, (laughs) you know, this is the importance of paying attention to people through life cycles Mm -hmm. because, of course, I was an immature, entitled jerk because that's what you are at that life stage. Mm -hmm. And you need to see the other life stages. So, you know, you know how mothers are like, oh, she don't get it yet. She gonna know one day. Right. And it's kind of (laughs) like and you hate it. You're like, she don't know what she's talking about. Until the day finally arrives. Until that shit really happens. And it always does. And then you realize there's so much levels to this life shit. You're like, whoa. Yeah. So now that I'm now that we as a generation are going deeper into these levels, I think we're looking at these younger generations like, what the hell am I do with you? (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? So that makes me think um, from so many conversations that I've heard you have and you reference your father a lot. And that's because usually those dialogues that you jump into are around, um, the internet, internet culture, technology, yada, yada. And I know how your father greatly influenced that. But what about your mother? And Mm -hmm. thinking about how the young need the old. Mm -hmm. Because we're always still younger than someone else. Your mother's always still going to be older than you. So how, what has she taught Alex back then? And what is she teaching Alex right now? Yeah, so um, I appreciate the question. My mom definitely taught me the importance of patience. I'm an impatient person. Um, I'm a millennial from New York, right? So recipe mm-hmm. for impatient and um, and what's even worse about being impatient in this type of environment is that you can get a lot of the things you want <laughs> in the time right. you want them. So it's rewarding almost sometimes, most of the time to be impatient. Um, but I think I look back and I, I see how much patience my mother had with me and even how much patience she has with my little brothers. And when I say patience, I just mean the ability to not get upset by um just un like un uh, non-ideal situations mm-hmm. like something might happen during the day or someone might have an attitude or some just like things that for me I like to have a nice streamline I don't right. want no hiccups just linear all day she can just go through a day with so many ups and downs and challenges and people depending on her and just be like like in a like you know in a neutral good mood And I'm the type of person that I'm like, whoa, like, I want to learn how to not be as volatile in Mm -hmm. my mood because of just, like, life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? (laughs) Because it's raining on the day we were supposed to go to the park. Exactly. (laughs) I just think about her, just the patience with me and just me being a kid and me probably just being annoying as hell. (laughs) And I look back and I'm just like, Mom, thank you so much for your patience. How do you do it? Even with her husband, my stepfather, He's, you know, that's a whole responsibility, having a partner and having patience with them. Mm. And I'm just like, like my mom, funny story, for Thanksgiving, she cooked the whole Thanksgiving. This past Thanksgiving? Yeah, Uh cooked the whole Thanksgiving. And I'm telling you, she's tired. By the end of the day, she's tired, tired, tired. In the morning, I hear her and my stepfather talking in the other room mad early. And he's talking her ear off about something. And I'm just like, I wish... (laughs) My partner would uh try to even look at me. (laughs) And she's talking with a calm voice. And Mm -hmm. I brought it up to her. And she, you know, and it was funny. She actually told me a little story about how my stepfather needed help with the computer, um, technology coming into play. Right. And um, he he got her a cup of tea. Yeah. And he said, you know, I know you're tired. I made you a cup of tea when you're ready. I need your help with something. And so, but I was like, I like that though. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I was setup. like, oh, so he knew yeah. how to approach you. Yeah. And so, you know, again, like, I love little shits like this because I'm like, this is the shit you can't learn in school. I was about to Patience, say. Patience, love, warmth. They've been married for almost 20 years now. Amen. So I'm like, I'm like, okay. You know, and I, but still, it still takes patience to deal with, you know, to help him with whatever, whatever she was going to help him with. But I was just like, wow, like this is this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. This is how you deal with people every day. Mm-hmm. This type of patience mm-hmm. and still be happy enough to not want to kill yourself. Right. So anyway, shout out to my mom. Mm-hmm. I think the other important thing my mom showed me um, was to back to the cooking thing. Um, the importance of cooking with love, not just the importance, the reality of it. Because she had made, I think, like a cake and and there was ice cream. And I made myself a bowl 
and I was probably like 12. So, you know, I just like scrapped it onto my plate, you know, like tapping on the ice cream <laughs> and it looked like shit on my plate. And then she comes over and she scoops it and like gently cuts the cake. And like, it looks like a fucking dessert right. on her plate. Like you could get at like a restaurant. Yeah. And I took a bite out of it. I'm like, why is yours tasting better taste than mine? Better? <laughs> and she's, she's all like ready for it. She's like, she's like, that's because it was made with love. Ooh. And I was like, and but you know, and I was like twelve, so it was like the perfect age to believe the magic of that. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm like, damn, it really that shit is real. Yeah. And ever since then, it's, I, you know, obviously like I I saw the stuff about like how you can put energy into food, the energy you put into food changes the molecular structure and shit. But I didn't know that when she told me that, and I was just like, damn, that shit is real. And and I've noticed it in my own life. Like I'm sure if you've made food pissed off. It just doesn't taste as good. That was the other reason why I was happy I went to the diner. Right. So I could look at the guy who was right. making it. So then when it came down to my order, right. different energy was put into it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't know what everyone else on Grubhub got, but right. my joint went down smooth. And that's just smooth. the energy of the people. Then you got to talk right. about the energy of the food, food itself. <laughs> So I was just like, ah. so those are two really like that was like a magical moment um, for me. And I yeah. definitely and again, that has a lot to do with patience, because to cook with love most of the time, mm -hmm. you have to take that moment out to really treat the food right and and be intuitive and listen to it. And, yeah. you know, that shit takes patience. Sometimes you just want to one two go. Absolutely. Eat. Absolutely. But then you see the difference in it. I'm wondering now for. A lot of women who think about taking care of home and cooking and they feel completely allergic to that idea because mm -hmm. they make it synonymous with an inferiority. Right. It reminds them of a time where we were handcuffed to the home. Right. Right. And so a lot of times you'll see when someone has been made inferior um, in such extremities, they now want to be superior. Right. Right? So we have shirts that say, like, the future is female. Mm -hmm. And it's like, motherfuckers, I'm coming to claim all. I'm about to be the new boss. Right. Yada, yada, yada. And there's no, like, middle ground. Mm -hmm. There's no borrowing from, like, each side. So for the woman who is concerned. Yeah. <laughs> or doesn't even know how to turn that part of her on right anymore because she's neglected it by seeing it as a weakness yeah what can you offer well i can't offer her anything but you know who probably can <laughs> you know who probably can is her mother or uh -huh. her grandmother yeah or her or just elderly women in her family that she respects mm -hmm. and this is what's so important about wisdom is that I can't get it. Mm. I have to. The only way you get wisdom is living through things. Right. It's through experience. Right. And so I'm still relatively young. And so I'm, you know, for, for women who are wanting to, I think, tap more into their femininity, you got to. I mean, they're telling us anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> that should be ringing in my brain. Like the things my grandma said that, you know, when she said it, it made no sense. Right. And then it's just like, like, whoa, that was some deep shit like mm -hmm. like and at the time it felt so basic it almost <laughs> felt like give me a break right? right and now it's like it's like wow that is really valuable advice thank exactly. you grandma yeah, and thank you for telling me over and over again right patience um and so that I'm, I'm a really big advocate of that i think people think what's precious is gold i think what's precious is grandmas and grandpas mm, um time with words. time with them um listening to them i think the the way old people get objectified in this culture just i mean i get i get chills thinking about it as far as how much it just kind of disgusts me and people think that um the i, I do believe that the older you get and the less that you look like the images you see or you, the less that you understand technology the more objectified you get and mm -hmm. i think I think we all get objectified. We often talk about women getting objectified. We get objectified as sexual objects. Uh, old people get objectified as old people who don't have feelings. Right. Um, and, and men get objectified as machines, in my opinion. They're often talked about, about as machines, that they don't have emotions as well. Yeah. So 
the whole point is let's stop objectifying each other. Yeah. We're not objects. We're all fleshy human beings with emotions and feelings. And old people definitely have feelings. Mm-hmm. They have feelings. They have emotions. They have fears. They have stories. Uh, of course, they yeah. have stories. And I think... Um, and tapping into those stories is literally how you can help a f- memory. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have any older adults, an elder, grandmother, grandfather, what, or... Even um, me and Carl, our neighbor is an older gentleman, mm-hmm. and we just make time to have him share his story. Mm-hmm. And and, and o- that's a brain exercise. Yeah, older people take a lot of patience because they grew mm. up in a time where, first of all, storytelling is definitely an art of humanity. It's something that we as humans have always done to be able to pass down wisdom and information. Mm-hmm. But the pacing of stories is something millennials are not used to. Um, from the oral sort of way of old people, right? We need our stories told in 10-second f- bits with actors and, yeah. you know. You could tell a story through a meme. That's how fast we move Exactly. <laughs> so I try to be sensitive and exercise that patience when an older person is trying to tell me a story because they were taught to tell the story with that type of pacing, with that type of drama, with that type of detail, which is something we've definitely lost an appreciation for so mm-hmm. um, yeah and I think also we need to be reminded that we are going to be old too it's not mm-hmm. we're not doing them a favor right you know, like, right by ignoring them right or or by being nice to them we're not doing them a favor it's not to make them feel better it does make them feel better but it's about nourishing our own journeys and being like damn I'm so happy I listened because now I feel better equipped to deal with the loss of this person or the drama of this situation um because dead people are or old people have dealt with death and experience and all that shit you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. now i want to know the stories behind certain words that you threw out there on the interwebs the day i make sense to you is the day i failed mm, that one you don't got to read too deep into that one that's just um I think if I were to explain that, I what I'm trying to say is that I do believe that uh, the point of life is the zest of life is mm-hmm. the mystery. I think when we try to over um, intellectualize things, we rob it of its romance. Mm-hmm. When we try to make everything science and take away the art, art yeah, um, it's just bland. Mm-hmm. I think that's another way we effed up cooking is we turned it into just nutrition and we took away the beauty of just the goddamn food right and also and the, the experimentation because then cooking can be performative right you know what i mean and it's like even when we were making mozzarella sticks and i was worried about like the way i was right. doing it or whatever we did one thing we switched up the offered um, order Recipe. of operations yeah. and then you reminded me nah like figuring it out right is a part it's really of really how you learn how to yeah. cook too yeah yeah. yeah 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 so yeah that's i think what i meant by that is that especially as women i think we represent mystery men oh god you want me to get real okay men, i believe that men love sports because men love the unknown they love the stimulation of not knowing what's going to happen but mm. we're kind of wanting to know right because it's like why would a man watch a ball go from this side to this side to this side to this side <laughs> and it's because he he's getting a thrill from the suspense of not mm. knowing and so i think women represent that women mm. represent him you know oh, what is that like wow she's so this and she's so that but if you show everything and i know i sound like a grandma <laughs> But we learn a lot from grandma. Right. If you show him everything, then the game's over. Mm. He knows who won. (laughs) And it ain't you. (laughs) Damn, bitch. That would have been a great boss babe quote back in the day. So I feel like I love being a woman because I get to just prance around and, you know, keep everybody like, damn. In suspense. Right. Right. That's my job. And that's fun as shit. So... (laughs) Shout out to being a woman. <laughs> and that's that's what I meant by that quote. Oh my gosh, I'm so here for that. And also remember, these are not things that just apply to when you are single. 
Right. Mystique no. is definitely a form of foreplay yes. in a relationship. Oh my God. As well. If you want that relationship to go anywhere. Yeah. I remember Obama actually, Barack said this um, about Michelle in some type of interview, like, what is the most attractive thing about her? And he said, because when I look at her sleeping, there's still a part of her I don't know. Right. That's what these, that's what they like. <laughs> That's why the NBA and all this shit exists because there's a lot of money in suspense. I'm telling you, people. I don't. I believe it. That's so interesting. Yeah. Wow, I could have an entire other podcast <laughs> based on that because, like, I want to know now how that plays into social media, where there isn't a lot of suspense with some of the <clears throat> women you right. look at. Yes, of course. With how we present ourselves, you oh, know what yeah. I mean. Oh yeah, huh. a lot. Of, I think a lot of women have been taught that uh, to 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 get rid of our mystery. It's like right. what what captivates anybody is is sort of the mist in front of the thing. When the mist goes away, then it's kind of like, all right, I'm I'm on to the next mist. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have a little something in front of who you are. Think about the symbolism uh, symbolism of the veil. Mm. And other, you'll look in a lot of traditions and you'll see how much women cover themselves up in a lot of, you know, societies and stuff like that. And that's because a lot of uh, religions and stuff believe in like, you know, in in what that does for keeping men in check. Right. So you even done that in our friendship (laughs) when I think about in the beginning how and I've told you how you are not a. Okay, we meet, we get along, and I'm gonna tell you my entire freaking life story. Like it took years. There's so many parts yeah. of you that I had to earn, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize it in the process. I'm not like, oh my gosh, this bitch is not telling me shit, yada yada yada. But that is actually so much more organic mm-hmm. and genuine, than just yeah. vomiting vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate how that shows up in all of your relationships, not just the thank you, the romantic ones. You're welcome, boo. I have a final question for you. It goes back to to one of your quotes. If you want to create something beautiful or meaningful, expect it to exhaust you. What is what is exhausting you right now? Since I know you're creating beautiful, meaningful <sighs> things. Yeah. Um a few things. I have a lot of like projects as always. Um, I like the feeling of being exhausted by your passion. Mm-hmm. It's kinda like the feeling of after having sex where right. you're like yeah, I'm tired, but you know okay, it's worth, worth it. it. Yeah, um, and that's that's I think working with the energy of passion is that is working with the energy of passion. It's the same thing. So mm. I think that's what I meant with that quote. As far as just um, to enjoy that type of, it's like working out too. That rewarding feeling of after you're done. It's knowing that you're tired, but you're using energy in a very healthy, sort of harmonious way. Mm-hmm. So I think that any beautiful piece of music or art has that kind of endorphin feeling after expect that to kind of wear you out but just i love to appreciate that Mm -hmm. and keep you wanting more yeah because the worst is when you're constipated with with passion Mm. and you're not letting it out or you're letting it out with some unhealthy thing right so yeah amen so literally what is in route? Oh, for me? That's currently exhausting. Um, okay, so <laughs> I'm building a business education platform for creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Creative Business School. And basically part of why I'm so passionate about everything is because I believe that creative people should be more economically empowered and financially free. And a lot of that has to just deal with simple um, education, just mm-hmm. understanding the basics, um, it's not going to scare folks away. I'm not going into the details of like, you know, filing an LLC and stuff. It's more just about understanding consumers and marketing and, um, how to not sort of get ripped off or get lost in the sauce of what the internet sort of expects of you and how you can carve your own lane. So, um, it's going to be an online platform and it's going to be really cool. You can join the Absolutely. waiting list at creative business dot school mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the best type of school that you could be in okay <laughs> and tuition is low <laughs> <laughs> yes i love you so much alex thank you I love thank you, you too. so much for your time your space and for letting us explore that vast and amazing brain of yours thank you thank you for having me alex wolf bro 
Alex, motherfucking wolf. Every time I speak of this friend of mine, I just, I don't know. I feel like my brain gets stretched a few inches longer. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like a damn Pilates class for the mind. <laughs> Anyways, for real, beyond being one of my great friends, uh, Wolf is just, she's a stellar resource, yo, for all things philosophy, art, nature, technology, humanity. That's her jam. Um, I'd say definitely jump on her newsletter at alexwolf.co. Head on over there. Um, and if you're a creative of any type, a creative that is just serious about becoming more business minded, then I say def check out her company, um, Creative Business School. Jump on Instagram to find them, which is just at Creative Business School. And if you're still listening to me, I'm assuming you fucked with this episode heavy. So go ahead and confirm that by liking, subscribing, and or sharing the She's Beauty and the Beast podcast. Ratings are also welcomed as well as your comments. Hit me up everywhere at it's Tracy G. I-T-S here at ACYG and keep up with me more um, more personally on itchtracyg.com. Yeah. Appreciate the to the maximum hydration, affirmations, and me, Tracy G, are your friends. Till next time, homie.